Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about girls in gangs as well as all girl gangs. And this idea first popped into my head when we were researching for our episode on daddy's girls and particularly looking at the 1940s and 50s when juvenile delinquency and teen female sexuality was really freaking a lot of adults out in America and gang participation was part of that. That was kind of the first time that girl involvement in gangs really started to come to the forefront of our national attention. And as we'll talk about in more detail, lots of movies about those teens that adults were afraid of. What better way to exercise your societal fears than through pop culture? Exactly. And terrible B movies. That's right. Maybe even some C or D movies. But we have to start... By looking at some numbers from today, and this is coming from the National Gang Center, who reported that from 1998 to 2010, female gang participation stayed pretty even at just under 10% female. But there was a huge jump reported in 2013 by the U.S. Department of Justice, which said in a report that girls were making up 20 to 46% of youth gang membership, which is a Pretty well. It's it's not only a pretty big jump, but it's also a pretty significant like window, twenty to forty six percent. Yeah, and that wide window, and also the question of whether that is a jump, brings up an issue that comes up a lot when you start researching girls' involvements in gangs because. Historically, there has been really, really poor and sometimes just non-existent data collection going on because a lot of law enforcement agencies have completely overlooked 
female involvement in gangs because there has been this long-standing idea that if a girl is in any way associated with a gang, she's just an accessory. She might just be a girlfriend. She might just be uh, really just a sex object for the gang. She's not really doing any of the actual gang activity. So it's only been in really recent years that more law enforcement agencies and obviously the Department of Justice are starting to pay closer attention. So... That jump could be a reflection of them actually just starting to pay attention. Yeah, because, I mean, this definitely isn't a new development. I mean, for hundreds of years, people have just looked at women or girls and thought, there's no way that you have chosen a life of crime, of serious crime. You're probably just some sort of hanger on who does like the the carrying of weapons or the delivery of Items that are stolen or drugs or whatever. You're just a drug mule. You're a girl. <laughs> right. Come on. Uh, but there is one pattern, though, when it comes to all girl gangs that seems to be pretty consistent and jumped out to me, which is that you see them more often, girl gangs and just girl involvement in gangs. In smaller cities and towns, um, this is going back to that data from the National Gang Center. They found that nearly half of gangs outside larger cities are reported to have female gang members compared with around one in four in larger cities. Again, the question is what's going on with data collection here. But I noticed that in a number of the sources that we read talking about how it's usually in smaller cities and towns where girls tend to join up with gangs or start their own gangs more often. Yeah, and I do wonder if that has to do with just available resources, available activities for kids who are in school, who are school age, um, if that's just part of that whole trend. Yeah, I would definitely think so. But yeah, as far as trends go, and I did mention, you know, gangs hundreds of years ago, let's let's travel back into girl gang history. So one good thing to keep in mind as we go through this history of gangs and particularly girls and gangs is that the factors fueling gang formation and gang involvement have remained largely constant for the past century plus, specifically factors of poverty and economic marginality and domestic instability. Right. And so, I mean, you this makes sense. This makes total sense that this is a trend or these are trends that you would see over the past several hundred years that have remained constant because young people who don't have resources at their disposal, maybe don't have a stable, safe home environment are more likely to go out in search of that stability or just in search of plain things to do. Yeah, and so this brings us to the 1870s in Britain, where we have the emergence of the all-female 40 Elephants, sometimes called the 40 Thieves Gang, which was first mentioned in newspapers in 1873. And these ladies, these elephants... So this was a slick operation. This was not, uh, th- this was in contrast too to these all male gangs running around at the same time doing lots of smash and grab jobs. These women kept a pretty low profile. Yeah, and they really took advantage of the fashion of the day in order to swipe all of their jewelry and whatnot. Uh, they wore specially tailored coats, cummerbunds, muffs, skirts, bloomers, and hats. 
all with hidden pockets where they could stuff things in. And so while it might have been unfortunate as a woman of the day to have to like, wear your petticoats, wear your big bustle, wear all this stuff, it was great for hiding diamond rings. Well, and it also makes sense that it's happening at this time as we start to see the emergence of this consumer culture where you're going mm-hmm. out more often to go and buy goods, going to bazaars, going and gazing at the things in the store windows. And the woman who really took advantage advantage of this, the leader of this gang for a time, was one Annie Diamond, described in the Guardian newspaper as the cleverest of thieves. And in addition to being a clever thief, it was also just easier for young women to go through these stores and snatch up all sorts of things and hide them in their specially tailored muffs and bloomers because shopkeepers weren't assuming that okay, we should watch out for these girls Mm -hmm. because, like you said, Caroline, people tend to not associate intentional criminality with women. This goes back to our episode on kleptomania. Right, but of course shopkeepers did eventually wise up to the fact that all of these women were just spiriting away all sorts of fancy, shiny objects into those hidden pockets in their clothes. Um, And so we were reading one source that was talking about shopkeepers who would see these women coming and would just immediately like shutter the shop or keep them out. But the police who were starting to wise up too and realizing, oh, these women might be up to something... They would show up at certain houses of certain thieves, but the women would have totally cooked the books and basically presented the equivalent of receipts for everything. Like, oh, no, I, I got all this furniture or these weapons or these, you know, diamond rings. Totally legit. Yeah. And as we get into the 1920s, because the 40 elephants lasted through the 1950s in Britain. But once you get into the 1920s, it starts to take on an air of the bling ring, which uh, if you're not familiar with it, it was this small group of teenagers in L.A. who are actually from like wealthy backgrounds who broke into celebrities' houses, including Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, to steal all their things so that they could feel closer to the celebrities. And The Guardian reported that, quote, their lifestyles were in pursuit of those glamorous movie stars combined with the decadent living of 1920s aristocratic flapper society. And apparently they threw fabulous parties. Which now makes it sound like I'm really glorifying (laughs) this female gang culture. But yeah, but this is another, I mean, speaking of trends that have been around forever in terms of gang culture and women in gangs and young girls in gangs, I mean, this is just another thing, the desire to emulate the rich and wealthy and, you know, the, the life of leisure that you see around you wanting to emulate that. And I mean, that's something you see today, too. I mean, there are so many reasons for people and young girls in particular to join gangs. But one of the constants is just wanting stuff, wanting cool stuff. Well, and that relates back to that issue of economic mm-hmm. marginality. Right. Um, so if we go to the U.S., though, in 1927, Frederick Milton Thrasher publishes a seminal book on early gang participation called The Gang, a study of 1,313 gangs in Chicago. And what's fascinating about this book, and it is huge, is that girls in gangs or associated with gangs get only a passing mention. 
Right. Basically, he explains girl gangs being, quote unquote, exceedingly rare by saying that girls lack the gang instinct while boys have it. And he attributes this to social patterns of behavior. Girls just don't do that. In addition to, well, girls are just better supervised. They're kept closer to the home. But there was one passage where he at least acknowledged that girls do participate with gangs sometimes, although, quote, gangs composed entirely of girls are very rare. And he cites one, quote unquote, bandit queen nicknamed Honey, who apparently had become known in newspapers. And he writes, it is alleged that her gang has engaged in numerous robberies and that she was accustomed to threaten them with a gun if they got yellow. Mm. So, I mean, you go, honey. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to be pistol whipped by honey. (laughs) Staying away from that bandit queen. Just, yeah, keep on her good side. But um, so when we move into the 1940s and 50s during the the war and the post-war period in the United States, there was a reported rise of all girl gangs in New York City and in Detroit. But they tended to just be female extensions of all male gangs, not necessarily going out and doing their own thing, but working alongside all male gangs. And they would do things like conceal weapons for them, run errands, even spy on some rival gangs. And that's a similar role that girls and gangs are still associated with, of just Mm -hmm. being accessories to the male gang activities. Um, But there was... One example of one of these all-girl gangs that was a version of an all-guy gang in Detroit at the time called the Shakerettes, and they were an offshoot of the Shakers. And in the book Girls, Gangs, Women, and Drugs, there was a quote from a former Shakerette, and she said, Girls were the sister gang. Without the boys, there wasn't anything. Does that name, though, strike you as just like a doo-wop group from the... 50s or 60s. I think of the Shakers, the religious Shakers. <laughs> I thought of that who too. Who make all those neat crafts. I know when I actually when I okay, so yeah, when I first read this bullet I was like, wait, a girl version of the Shakers. But I guess they're sort of like a religious gang, you could say. You could say. One could say. Uh but we do have to m- briefly mention over in Britain in the 1950s. Probably Caroline, I don't want to speak for you, but but it was this This was my favorite girl gang in quotes because they really weren't so much about criminality. But we have to mention them because they were kind of great. Yeah, the Teddy Girls. I thought they were super awesome. I mean, maybe people at the time. Well, definitely people at the time did not think they were so awesome. But I mean, this is this is back to that whole emergence of teen culture and essentially teenagers, these teenagers in particular, um, fulfilling every grown up's worst fear about what young people were doing. Basically, they weren't necessarily all engaged in horrible criminal activity. Certainly there was an element of criminal activity, but it was mostly associated with the boys, while it, whereas the girls were just wearing these fabulous clothes and sort of accompanying them on the on their jaunts through the streets. Yeah, they were the the lady friends, the lady compatriots of the Teddy Boys, and a lot of these kids were from and around London in working class neighborhoods. And it's notable that this is happening after. World War II, meaning that these kids grew up in an era of rationing. They did not have much. And it's fascinating that uh, a, a lot of their identity was in the fashion that they wore, which uh, that's still something that we see today in gangs, obviously. But the Teddy Boys would wear these 
dandy suits almost. And I mean that literally like like dandies um, wearing these Edwardian fashions that briefly came into vogue on Savile Row. But then as soon as the Teddy Boys started wearing them, they were like, oh, no, we got to wear these suits. Uh. <laughs> and the Teddy Girls wore similarly like high style outfits mm-hmm. with these hats and their hair would be done up and they'd be wearing high necked blouses. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look like very serious young women. Yeah, but I love they had their uh, what we would call boyfriend jeans now. They had their boyfriend jeans on that were rolled up with their cigarette in their fingers. Oh, yeah. They smoked they smoked cigarettes for sure. And like you said, the Teddy Girls were more about fashion than roughhousing because even at that time, the girls' roles were still focused around the home. They probably weren't allowed so much to go out and run around the streets. But I love in, in some of the things we were reading about Teddy Girls and Teddy Boys, there was a picture of a sign that said, no one with Edwardian dress will be admitted. And I just that that made me laugh because, yes, there were while there were some members of this group of people who were committing crimes of some sort, for the most part, they were just... Kind of scary teenagers, which yeah. is really no different than in, when we see in the 60s and 70s people posting signs like hippies use the back door. No hippies allowed. Well, wasn't this described as the first teen subculture mm-hmm. in British history? So, of course, parents were freaked out. Yeah. Um, and as a reflection of just how freaked out adults were. Let's talk for a minute about pop culture, because it is in the 1950s, like we mentioned earlier, that you start to have this girl gang film genre emerge that totally reflected the cultural panic about girls and gangs, sexuality, juvenile delinquency, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a quote from one of our sources from the Daddy's Girl episode. It said, from 1941 to 1965, girls had better access to schools with almost universal compulsory secondary education, new social freedoms, cultural prominence, commercial influence, and a place in the nation's vision of its future. In other words, girls were suddenly teenagers. But not all those teenage girls wanted to just go to a sock hop, hang out at the at the soda shop. Some girls wanted to hang out with fast boys and ride in fast cars and wear matching jackets. That's right. Like uh the high school Hellcats in 1958, that was apparently based on an actual all-girl shoplifting gang in Florida of all places. And in the movie, the high school Hellcats wore these jackets with like <laughs> Tiger faces. Was it tiger or cougar? Some kind of vicious cat. To me, it just looked like a pink cat with some long fangs. Okay, so uh, they with the pink panther. I'm sure it was vicious at the time. A vicious pink panther, uh, possibly a Maine Coon, <laughs> face on the back. Who's to say? That just said man-eaters. Nice. So, ladies... I would, I would wear that jacket. Ladies, yeah, if you're looking for a group Halloween costume, I'm just saying high school Hellcats, give it a look. Well, and we can't forget uh, Paula, who was the protagonist in the movie The Violent Years, who not only becomes pregnant, but is jailed for murder, dies in childbirth. But before she dies, she says, so what? Oh, Paula. Well, and all this happened, right? Because Paula got swept up in a girl gang. Yeah. Not to be confused with the 1950s movie titled Girl Gang. (laughs) Right. 
But when we move into the 1960s, uh, girl gang movies become more about biker girl gangs. So you have the miniskirt mob and she devils on wheels and also the Hellcats. Lots of Hellcats mm. happening mm-hmm. at this time. Women associated with felines. Yeah. And, and the formula for all of these movies and still for movies about girl gangs, whether they're actual gangs or cliques today, the gangs are always led by an alpha female. Right. Who's very sexual. Super sexual. And she's like, honey, the, you know, the, the bandit who will pistol whip you if you cross her. Queen bandit. Well, and also something to note about the sort of the shift as we get into the 60s and 70s is that those biker girl gang movies in the 1960s were really sort of indulging in the fantasy about bad girls and about all the danger they found themselves in, as opposed to the movies in the 50s, which were more moralistic, trying to impart a lesson like, hey, parents, don't let your kids do this. This is awful. It's a life of crime. Don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Let your daughters wear lipstick. That's also a reference to our daddy's girl episode. But it's interesting to see that it goes from being a total societal panic moment into like, oh, they're they're kind of cool. You know, it's cool. Hellcats. Hellcats on motorcycles. <laughs> uh, and, but then things start to get more violent, which is also reflective of what is happening in the real world in terms of female gang participation in the 1970s. Girl gang movies switch to switch. Yeah. Huh. Well, switchblade. They, it's, it's more about switchblade gangs. So you have movies titled Switchblade Sisters and the Dagger Debs. Watch out for those women. Yeah. And the Warriors, which although it focused a lot on male gangs, it did feature a girl gang by the name of the Lizzie's. Which I just picture a bunch of Lizzie McGuire's, honestly. Well, and with Dagger Debs, I'm just thinking about women, you know, de- these debutantes pulling switchblades out of their dresses. Oh, I was picturing little Debbie snack cakes with knives in them. It's like mm-hmm. a prison snack. Then once we get into the 1980s, the girl gangs and the, the movies about them really just evolve into movies about high school and cliques. So from the 80s into the 2000s, you have movies like Heather's. Jawbreaker, and of course, of course, Mean Girls. One thing I was wondering about that, what do you think that says? Because we've had all these movies, we've seen the evolution of um, basically societal fears and, and anxieties reflected in these film trends. But all of a sudden we go from featuring women who are riding motorcycles and pulling switchblades on each other to just girls being super mean to each other in the halls of high school. Well, if you think about... Uh, I've, I've actually never seen Jawbreaker, but I've seen Heather's, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. and Mean Girls, which, I mean, come on, it's great. Uh, and a lot of those have to do, and I think Jawbreaker does this as well, where it's like the, it focuses on girls, not just not just girls being mean for mean's sake, but there's usually this socioeconomic hierarchy in it as well. Mm-hmm. It's very consumery. The girls always have new clothes, new cars, hot boyfriends. I don't know, to me, and it makes sense that this starts happening in the 1980s, where you have a bit of an economic boom when people are very, very interested in their stuff, yeah. the accumulation of stuff. So I think it's more about just our changing values, maybe, yeah. and just like total and complete focus on on acquiring goods. Yeah, Gordon Gecko, greed is good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, in the 2010s, we have another evolution because we get criminal girl gangs, not just the Heathers or the Mean Girls cliques. We get, 
young girls, maybe they're in high school, maybe not committing these crimes. And that shows up in movies like Spring Breakers and The Bling Ring, which Kristen cited earlier in relation to basically like, why did women want to steal all this stuff to begin with? Yeah. And that's a huge reflection now of the shift to wanting like the hyper celebrity culture of wanting to emulate those lifestyles by stealing their things. If you remember of the bling ring. And we should have cited earlier that this is from a really great post over at Bitch Flicks, which is a great site about all about women and movies and film. And this is just another way of saying movies. <laughs> so you should check it out. But when we come back from a quick break, we're going to get out of the movie theater and into the real world, Caroline. No more jokes about the Lizzie's. And, or, or and, the Hellcats. Or the little Debbie Snack Cakes with Switchblades. <laughs> we got to talk about the rise of girls and gangs in the real world because this is a serious problem and a growing problem, or at least a growing issue that law enforcement agencies are finally paying attention to. So we'll talk about that when we come right back. Caroline and I work up quite an appetite podcasting, which is why we rely on snacks. And so we are here to bring you some fantastic information about free snacks from naturebox.com. And we're just not talking about any old snacks. We're talking about delicious snacks with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners, zero grams of trans fats, and no high fructose corn syrup. You'll even find snacks with no added sugar and without gluten ingredients. So in the afternoon slump when I'm hungry and just flipping my desk over because I'm so irritable that I haven't gotten to a sandwich yet, here's what I do. I grab some peanut butter nom-noms from NatureBox. Or how about some of those baked sweet potato fries? Or those Ever wonderful lentil loops. So good and so much better for you than other snack options out there. And now Kristen and I want to give you the chance to try Nature Box for free with a trial box featuring five of their most popular snacks. To start your free trial, go to naturebox.com slash momstuff. Stay full, stay strong, do what we do and start snacking smarter. Head on over to naturebox.com slash momstuff to get a free trial box of delicious snacks today. So before the break, we were talking about basically uh, girl gangs being reflected in pop culture and societal anxieties showing up in the movie theater. But we have to move now to talk about real life girls in real life gangs and what that means kind of for our society at large. And it's interesting to note that in the 1980s, which is when we see those movies shift from focusing on violent women to just kind of clicky mean girls in high school, this is when law enforcement really finally starts paying attention to the fact that, hey, there are girls in gangs and they're participating. They are not just hangers on. And that participation might have to do with girls being elevated to more integral positions in gangs. No thanks to the influx of things like crack cocaine in gang-ridden neighborhoods. And so this is when the police finally start realizing that, okay, it's no longer just about sex because, again, that's something that you'll see in pretty much any paper that you read 
about girls and gangs is, oh, girls and gangs are just sex objects. Sex objects are tomboys. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have the massive influence of drugs and the drug trade coming into gangs, that gets a lot more money involved and a lot more trafficking of goods and money and guns and all this stuff. So these girls involvement really steps it up a notch. Right. And, you know, we noted at the top of the podcast that there are data collecting issues and have been for a long time because researchers typically have either just talked to male members of gangs about girls participation or it's just sort of taking law enforcement reports you know, maybe filed by male law enforcement, interpreted by male researchers, all about these young girls and gangs. And then that can really kind of skew the numbers, the statistics and our perceptions of girls participation. Well, and if you speaking of the law enforcement reports, if you're looking at arrest reports, traditionally, when it comes to gang membership, the cops are going to focus on guys. They're not going to look for the girls. They're going to look for who they believe to be the most dangerous, you know, member of the gang or the, you know, threat to society. And it's fascinating to see, and fascinating, slash depressing too, to see how the anecdotal reports on girls' membership and role in gang life changes when you talk to a guy in a gang versus a girl in a gang because when you talk to male gang members, it's usually, oh, she's just here for sex. She either, we either have sex with her or we rape her or she goes out and brings women in for us to then rape. Whereas when you talk to female gang members, they will also acknowledge that yes, they will sometimes bring girls to the male gang members to rape. And we'll sometimes acknowledge, too, that, yeah, okay, they have to have sex with gang members and perform different sexual acts in order for them to, you know, stay in good standing. But they are usually more forthcoming in terms of the actual the additional duties that they are performing as well. So that their role becomes more complex when you actually start talking to the girls who are involved, which isn't a huge surprise. And then in 1996, we see a report called Female Gang Members, a Profile in Aggression and Victimization, which notes that female gang members are becoming, quote, hardcore and deadly and more oriented to male crime, which is interesting. It's an interesting language choice, I think, because nobody it's it's like, oh, wait, this is males, you know, perform a certain kind of crime and girls have a totally different kind of crime. They're just uh, grabbing those diamond rings and stuffing them into their hats. Exactly. I would. And that's what I was about to say that I would assume that when it comes to gender and crime, the assumption would be that shoplifting, petty mm-hmm. theft, things like that, mi- more misdemeanors would be girl crimes, whereas guy crimes are going to be far more violent. And speaking of violence, one major reason cited as for why female gang members are becoming or have become deadlier is access to guns. Mm-hmm. And and when people talk to girl gang members about guns, some of them will completely acknowledge like, oh, yeah, I mean, I have the position I do because I now carry a gun and it's not my boyfriend's gun. It is my gun. And that was something that came up in this article we read, particularly focusing on girls in gangs in Los Angeles. And they were talking to one former gang, female gang member nicknamed Bubbles. And when they asked her about guns, she said that that was one of the biggest misconceptions about girls and gangs, that if they have firearms, they're just holding them for someone else. And she said, no, 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 no. 
if you're a girl in a gang, like that's that's your gun. Yeah, because that levels for those girls. I mean, physically, they obviously are not going to be able to take on and beat up guys who would attack them. Right. But a gun levels the playing field. Right. And they talk a lot about the issue of respect. You hear, oh, even though she's a girl, she has a lot of respect. And then they talk about, well, actually, in reality, it's not so much that they've garnered all this respect from their gang members or their friends or peers or whatever. It's just the fear. And so having your own firearm goes into that whole, well, I'm going to earn respect when really you're just engendering fear at everyone around you because they don't want to get shot. Exactly. Um, so it's just notable to see how that quote that Caroline just uh, read a minute ago was from a 1996 paper. Fast forward 10 years to 2006 and Corrections Today publishes an article, Girls and Gangs on the Rise in America. And it talks about how all female gangs, not just girls and gangs, but all female gangs exist. But, quote, they are not yet classified as true street gangs, but are headed in that direction. And it's just incredible to me to see that in 2006 when clearly, I mean, like, obviously there haven't been all female violent gangs in the same way that we would think of in terms of, say, the Crips and the Bloods. Mm -hmm. But apparently that's on the rise. And then in 2009... You have the arrest of Shante Henderson, who is a female gang member who made it on the FBI's most wanted list, which is a rarity for female criminals. And she was possibly involved in up to 50 shootings and over five murders. And Newsweek talked to Christopher Budkey, who's the head of the FBI's criminal enterprise squad in Kansas City, where she was arrested. And he said, quote, it's very unusual for a female to rise to this level in the gang world. Right. And when she was arrested, she actually requested that she could have time to fix her hair. She was very excited about being on camera, being on the news. When she was in court and handcuffed, she held up her hands like and smiled, you know, as if, hey, look at me, I'm a celebrity. Well, and that, and speaking of that celebrity, that's something that, uh, you see more in these reports from the past few years about girls and gangs. I'm sure it happens too with guys and gangs is how social media is now, uh, coming into play as well because there was one girl who was actually killed via gang involvement and her Instagram was so many photos of her holding up guns, holding up money really proud of her gang status. Right. I mean, like what, like what, like you said, Caroline, of leveraging that fear. Right. Exactly. But it just is interesting to, when you take into consideration that 2006 report that Kristen just cited saying that, well, you know, if all female gangs aren't classified as true street gangs yet. We're getting there. And then you have somebody like Shantae Henderson arrested. I mean, women are just as capable of horrific acts of violence as men are, and certainly it would do the police well to catch up to that. Well, and that was something that uh, a big item that came out of the London riots in 2011 of the police realizing that girl gang participation was actually far stronger than they kind of thought that it was just looking at the the people who were doing the looting and the stealing and setting things on fire and how that was related to gang activities. Not to say that all the people involved in the London riots were in gangs, but gang activity was a a big conversation um, that came out of those events. 
Right. And when you look at girl-specific reasons for joining gangs, a lot of the time, it's it's not that it's so different from the reasons that boys join gangs, but there are some differences. Um, gangs do offer, if you do have that domestic instability that Kristen cited at the top of the podcast, it can offer a sense of family and a feeling of power. You've been powerless your whole life. Maybe uh, these girls have been abused. Maybe they've been neglected. Maybe some other sort of trauma has happened in their lives and they have felt powerless. But being part of this family that protects you, quote unquote, might be more protection that you've ever received from an actual biological family member. Right. Even though it might come at the cost of being constantly paranoid that you're going to be attacked by another gang member or raped by members of your own gang. But I mean, that kind of we would think of where we're sitting right here. That might seem like just a wild choice for a girl to make to willingly like walk into a situation like that. But when you've grown up possibly being abused, molested, raped by family members or by neighbors, whoever it might be, if you're living in, you know, situations where it's completely chaotic all the time, then it might not seem like such a, a wild idea. Right. Well, also, especially like, you know, uh, girl gang members are no different in terms of, you know, hormones raging than any other girl in school. And so there is also the issue of you feel like you're falling in love with this boy and he's in a gang and you want to be with him and he brings you in. It's like this whole sort of twisted love story that you end up in a life of crime because of a boy who's also a member of a gang. Yeah. And if we step back just a little bit, because it's important to note that for Girls in youth gangs, they usually start getting involved around ages 12 and 13. It starts Mm -hmm. very young. And the hallmarks of girl gang members include things like low education. They tend to drop out of high school by 10th grade. Um, They have experienced and perpetrated violence in school. They usually carry a knife and might even carry guns, sometimes for their boyfriends, sometimes for themselves, to schools. And again, they come from dysfunctional and abusive homes, the type of dysfunctional and abusive homes where, you know, a call from a school counselor is not going to do any good. Right. And uh, Meta Chesney Lind, who's a gang researcher at the University of Hawaii, was talking about this. And she was saying that it's not about girls becoming like guys, although the themes are the same. She says that the girls come from toxic, abusive families and are re-victimized in the gang setting. So it almost makes sense when all you've known your entire life is violence or sexual violence even though it's a terrible thing to then join a gang and experience that all over again, it's also a pattern that a lot of these young girls are used to. Um, and she says that girls choose the gang for entirely understandable and even laudable goals, given the constraints that they experience in a society that is increasingly likely to police and pathologize girlhood. So how do these girls then go about joining gangs? Because you would assume that you can't just show up one day and be like, hey... Can I join? All right, cool. Let's deal some drugs. 
So there are a number of different ways that gang initiation happens. Sometimes it is just via family connection. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of girls who are in gangs because a parent, a father, a mother, whoever has been in a gang. And so they sort of have a legacy. Right. Or in the case of someone like Jacqueline Montanez, she actually joined a gang because her stepfather was in one. But she joined the opposing gang because he he was a member of the Latin Kings. He molested uh Montanez for years as when she was a young girl. She joined the opposing gang in Los Angeles, I believe, ended up killing two members of the Latin Kings. And she's been in jail for this crime for years. And she admits, I wasn't trying to kill them. I was trying to kill him. And so while she didn't join the same gang as her stepfather and follow in his footsteps, she still joined a gang directly in response to her stepfather being in one. Well, and even if you have a family connection that might give you sort of a, an initial entrance into a gang, in terms of actual initiation, the two primary ways that happens is by being jumped in or sexed in. Now, if you're jumped in, which is less common than being sexed in if you're a girl, that's essentially when the gang members will beat you up. They will just beat you to a pulp and you'll have to take it. And then, hey, you're in it, which, Caroline, this is the point in the podcast, too, where it's reminiscent of our fraternities episode and the kind of I mean, this is hazing to an even more violent extent. But when you are sexed in, which is probably the most common form of gang initiation for girls is exactly what it sounds like. You will be raped, forced to have sex with multiple, if not all members of the gangs, possibly Mm -hmm. their friends. um, And that is the violence that you have to endure. Right. And I asked a social worker friend about this because some of the sources that Kristen and I read were saying like, yes, this is definitely a thing that happens all the time. Or, oh, we talked to girls in gangs and they said, no, that's ridiculous. That's just the boys trying to sound tougher than they actually are. And I was asking my social worker friend about it. And she said, well, I mean, it certainly does happen, but as with a lot of this, these different types of violence and crimes committed, it really varies from gang to gang, city to city, person to person. But it does seem like rape, whether that's whether you're sexed in, jumped in, whatever, whatever way you get involved with the gang, if you are a girl involved with, associated with a gang, rape is a common part. Right. Of your life. Right. And and one girl who was interviewed in one of the articles we read was talking about how it's absolutely a punishment. I mean, it's it's definitely something that is used as a tool of authority to keep girls in these gangs in line. Well, I mean, that's the thing about rape in and of itself is that it's not about sex. It's about power. Right. Exactly. So uh, speaking of, though, rape. And sex, the the primary way that a lot of girls drop out of gang life or just sort of fade out, they might still be associated with it, but aren't active in gang life anymore, is due to pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That's why if you look at girls' involvement, it usually drops off at an earlier age, a lot of times because they get pregnant, which a lot of times will simply propel the cycle of gang involvement because then that child will have at least one parent who is involved in a gang, and that might then lead them getting involved in a gang. Right, exactly. And there are a lot of gang prevention tactics out there. I mean, people in in various communities are not just sitting on their hands letting this happen, but a lot of the gang prevention tactics focus on de-escalating violent behavior. And some sources we read were talking about how 
Well, yeah. Okay. Obviously, you want to educate people about de-escalating violence and not committing violent acts. But among girls, it might be more effective to target really the root causes of why they're joining gangs in the first place, tackling things like poverty, molestation, abuse, neglect. Yeah. And, and this is one big reason why girls in gangs today are being described as an invisible Population, just because so much historically and even today, so much of the focus has been on curbing boys' participation in gangs, whereas girls are very involved, just possibly in different kinds of ways. But as you were telling me, Caroline, um, when you were talking to your social worker friend, the solution is not okay. Well, if we want to stop this, cops go arrest some girls. Arresting is. Putting people behind bars, like 16-year-olds behind bars, that's probably not going to solve this issue. No. I mean, the when I was speaking with her last night, we were talking about the importance of mental health and mental health care and the importance of getting kids the help they need, um, throwing state support behind social workers who can actually intervene and be those people who can take kids out of dangerous homes and dangerous situations. But also, you know, more of a focus on education and not just education about gangs and or or, you know, uh, sexual education or things like that, but also just um, letting girls know that there are options out there. You know, when you're so mired in your terrible life circumstances that have led you to join this gang, you might not ever see a way out. You know, we talked about this in our uh, teen pregnancy episode where studies have shown that if you educate girls about, hey, you can be this, you can be that, you can grow up to be all of these amazing things, and here's how you do it, and then here's some amazing role models that you can meet and base your hopes and dreams off of, that actually helps so many young girls stay on a path to both not becoming pregnant at a young age, but also not joining a gang. But sadly, it seems like the opposite is happening because what are we seeing in the headlines? I mean, just it's been it was really interesting to see how early like the studies that we found from the 1980s up until, say, 2012 were kind of few and far between when they were focused on girl gangs. But now there were so many articles just published since 2012, all of them saying, "Okay, more and more and more and more these girls are getting involved and in more um, violent ways than they ever have been before. Mm -hmm. And clearly those kinds of steps and those kinds of resources need to, if at all possible, be implemented as quickly as possible, or else we are going to continue to see as we have more and more headlines about how girls are becoming more and more involved in gang life. Mm -hmm. So if there are social workers listening or people who have had family members, friends get involved with gang life, anyone who has thoughts to contribute to this really important issue, we'd like to hear from you. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast and message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a letter here from Lisa about our episode on eyelashes. And she writes, I was so excited that you decided to delve into this whole eyelash issue. My boyfriend and I recently embarked on a project watching all Walt Disney animated feature films in chronological order. 
We noticed in the early films from the 40s and 50s that the female character's preferred method for attracting innocent wandering males was to flutter their eyelashes incessantly, often while applying some makeup or if they were animals, fluffing up some kind of feather or furry body part. This happens with disturbing frequency in these movies, especially among the cartoon animals. Thumper's seductress in Bambi is a particular example who sticks out in my memory, but she was not the only one applying this technique for snaring her man. Luckily, when I flutter my eyelashes incessantly at my current boyfriend, it just creeps him out. But I used to have a boyfriend who was particularly entranced by my fluttering eyelashes. I didn't even realize I was batting my eyes at him, but apparently I was, and apparently he found it appealing. Perhaps I had internalized some messages from my early childhood viewing of Disney cartoons about what I was supposed to do in order to attract a man, and was putting those messages into practice without even realizing it. Or perhaps I just bat my eyelashes more when in the company of people I like. I'm going to start paying attention now to see if I can observe any eyelash movement patterns in myself, and maybe others too. So thanks, Lisa. Alrighty, I have a letter here from Kelly in response to our same-sex weddings episode. She said, I wanted to write in belatedly and share with you an interesting change my wife and I made to our wedding party. I married my beautiful wife about a year ago on October 25th at City Hall in San Francisco. We did have a wedding party with three on each side. My best friend and her sister were our best women of honor, and the women on my side were brideswomen. My wife had her brothers with her on her side, and there were bridesmen. It was awesome. I hated the diminutive nature of maid, and there was no way the word groom was going to make it into our day. Thank you for making my Monday and Wednesday amazing. You're welcome, Kelly. And Kristen, she has a P.S. for you. What? She says, I have a total girl crush on you, Kristen. You must be one of a kind. Oh, Kelly, thanks. That Kristen Conger, she is one of a kind, Kelly. So thank you for writing in. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And to find links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, there's one place to go, and it's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.